Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTV buddies, my podcast listening was beginning to seem a lot like work. I was listening to comedy podcasts to get better at comedy, and I was listening to podcasting podcasts to get better at podcasting, and it was just getting to be a chore. Fortunately, I found Why Do We Say That with father and son hosts Scott and Liam Kelly. Why Do We Say That is a fun podcast where we learn where common words and phrases originated. It's entertaining and educational, kids. So, for instance, you may learn why we say paint the town red or rule of thumb, which is cool, and it may help you at trivia night. My favorite thing about why do we say that, though, is the interaction between Scott and Liam. It's really funny how they talk to each other, especially when Liam brings up stuff that just totally befuddles Scott. Scott just doesn't know how to handle it, and it's great, just like when I talk to my son. The show ends with word or not a word where they bring on two contestants that have to guess if the word spoken is an actual word or not. And then they get to spell some impossible words. So it's it's nice. It's education. I like it. Why do we say that? It's just a lot of fun. And Scott and Liam do an excellent job with it. So check it out wherever you find podcasts. You ran. Oh, hey, Liquid Death Mountain Water Demon, how are you? Great, I got one of those Tony Hawk blood skateboards on Kill the Half Pipe. Well, that's neato. Liquid Death does some of the coolest promotions and has the coolest merch I've ever seen. If you head over to liquiddeath.com, you can get free shipping on two cases of water and all their merch. You can also get two free koozies if you pop my promo code, Scott Curtis, all one word, in the box at checkout. I've got a 7-Eleven Whole Foods right by my apartment, and I can get my Liquid Death Mountain Water there. That's cool. Liquid Death is all over the fucking place. Just check out liquiddeath.com to see which fine retailer carries it in your town. Can water's the best, and there's no plastic waste that kills the poor little turtles. Right again, demon. They not only come in recyclable aluminum cans, but they donate 10% of their profits to clean up plastic. Head over to liquiddeath.com and check out all their cool stuff. And don't forget to use that code, Scott Curtis, to get two free koozies when you order. I gotta go catch some air. Kick it, Liquid Death Mountain Water Demon. My guest tonight, she's Chicago born and raised. Uh, she's a comedian that was formerly based in Shanghai. That's in China. Um, she was the first black comedian to perform at the Mongolia in Mongolia at the Silk Road uh, Comedy Festival in 2019. And uh, what really what I want to talk about is uh, she really leaned into the virtual comedy by saying yes to all the virtual shows, including a little show I like to, I like to call the BTB Internet Talk Show. And that kind of made her a sought-after uh, act after uh, the clubs reopened, and now she's doing some traveling. And I just want to talk about how all this came to be. I'm going to bring on Erica Switzer. Erica. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, how are you tonight? I mean, the, the way you just talked about me, I am, that that is amazing. <laughs> you, I need to put that on um, repeat and play it every morning. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the sound file and you can use that. If you want to listen to my voice every morning, you are more than welcome to it. <laughs> It was just the amount of uplift that yeah. you brought, and I'm just so I'm flabbergasted. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, and that's one of the things I like about you. You are an uplift-type person. You, you were one of the few people who never – okay, 
all the comedians are on Facebook. Well, not all of them, but a lot of the comedians are on Facebook, and a lot of the comedians uh, subscribe to uh, the soap opera uh, digest, I think, because they uh, all bring a certain amount of drama to everything and a certain amount of negativity and stuff like that. And you always, always, always rose above it. And I was always impressed with that. You know, it's so funny that when you see so much of it, you start noticing the ones who aren't participating. So, so, and you were one of those. And I, I was always uh, happy to see one of those people because even I got caught up in a couple of them. And uh, y you know how it goes. But uh, it was just uh, nice to see during all that. It's a typical, it's funny, when you put Facebook and when you put all these groups together, it's a typical local comedy scene, except for it's bigger. <laughs> and you get you get all the same stuff that you get in a local comedy scene. So uh, it, it was nice to see you rise above it and uh, be kind of a helper to other people. I remember I asked you to uh, help me out when I was uh, doing my little pledge drive to win my little podcast award. And you were like, sure. <laughs> you didn't even know me. And you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And uh, you came on and you helped. And uh, I got the silly little award. So that... Uh, speaks that speaks for itself so it's nice to have you on i just want to I, I really want to talk tonight about um you know what's happened to you you know since you uh got back to the states and hit the pandemic and uh came out of the pandemic and now we're in pandemic v2 pan pandemic version two and all that kind of stuff but um first off Let's talk about what you've been doing lately, because I know you have been, you've been pretty much coast to coast, haven't you, in the last few weeks? I have been bouncing around a lot, uh, especially the past three months. Uh -huh. I've uh, performed in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and California, in addition to Chicago. Uh -huh. So it's been a little surreal for me. I always kind of imagined hitting the ground running when things started opening back up, but I didn't imagine it to this extent. And, you know, the virtual thing had a huge hand in that. Mm -hmm. um, when I came home, I don't want to say I was just going to be a free agent just because I came from some big global city, mm -hmm. you know, kind of because just in case anybody who's watching this who doesn't know me or my backstory, I didn't start doing stand-up comedy until I moved to Shanghai, China. Mm -hmm. that, that is not on some grown woman eat, pray, love type stuff. That is <laughs> not... Going to China, the Middle Kingdom is typically not what somebody thinks of when they're trying to go find themselves. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I found myself there kind of um, taking the reins and, and teaching kids and doing comedy and doing public speaking, all this stuff. And I was like, you know what, when I go home, I just want to narrow it down, focus on one thing, the kind of thing I think is going to hit. Mm -hmm. And it, it's been hitting. I'll say it's just been hitting. Um, yeah. I took advantage of the virtual thing because I was literally a the textbook example of a displaced comedian. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> there is no way, in, no way in the world, in the history of the world, after 2020 was I going to keep my American ass over there? No. <laughs> no. And so I, I just wanted to come home and really lean into my purpose. Uh -huh. um, and so that I've been able to do that. And so uh, in October of last year, I won the Flappers Comedy Club Super Bowl, which opened a lot of opportunities for me with Flappers and getting me a chance to be seen by people nationally and especially in L.A. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that and with just now coming back from the Burbank Comedy Festival out there, people that already thought that I was an L comic, I get out there and it's like, oh, there it goes. Like, oh, man, <laughs> this is awesome. But that's, I have to go ahead and take that roll of the dice. So even right. though some people are like, oh, man, you know, doing the virtual stuff is lame, it's not real comedy, for me, I needed any stage. And, you know, I've been seen by thousands of people from all across the globe on the other side of the world. Right. So right. doing that, grinding out, staying hungry, I was only hoping and praying and wishing and imagining, you know, when I was winning the, the flappers contest 
and sitting my laptop on a box and I'm sitting on the other <laughs> box, I'm like, man, if this can happen, if this happens for me, I'm just hoping that some of these people that have seen me abroad can say, oh, yeah, I remember her when right. and now yeah, follow it from there. So for me, it's not to feed into anybody's drama about uh, being a little mispopular or anything like that. I mean, this is just, just following on what I feel like I was called to do mm-hmm. and being happy to do it in front of anybody, clean, not so clean, right. virtual, not so virtual. That's just how much I love doing what I do. Yeah. And you always came, uh, you know, as, as far as I how I saw you, you, you just never seemed to be anybody that, no matter what side they were on, no, everybody was still on your side. So I, I felt, I, I always felt like you were one of those people that everybody cheered for. Now I don't see everything because I don't, uh, I don't see, I just don't get on social media that much except for when I'm posting my own stuff and then going to bed. But it's just, uh, I just, it just seemed like you were one of the, uh, the well-liked people and, you know, they all the com- comedians I say I I talk to say that you um, if you're nice, um, it makes up uh, a lot of ground for you quickly because people just like to work with people who are pleasant to be around. <laughs> and uh, so I I always got that from you. And you know, you're just uh, always always there for the cause and always there for. Uh, uh, any virtual show that popped up, I you know I I scan those uh, quite often when we were locked in and uh, uh, just quietly watched most of the time. I didn't perform so much, but I watched quite a bit. And you know I always liked the way you you were one of the few people who could do the timing right and uh, allow for the. Uh, few seconds between what you say and the the reaction or um, even if there's not a reaction that you can hear you know there's a reaction somewhere and still playing off of it so I I always admired that about you thank you there is an art to it for me step one was to allow some of this comedy money from some of these shows to buy me better internet yeah (laughs) You know, with with getting my with getting my upload speed better, you know, it helped me stay optimal. Yeah. <laughs> on top of what I was expecting, uh, those reactions and stuff. Uh, I feel like doing comedy in China helped me get ready for that because, of course, if you're in a room where out of 150, half of the crowd is local mm-hmm. and they may or may not have a good grasp of the English language, you got five guys from France in the corner a couple of couples from Germany over here, that laughter is going to hit different different sides of the room at different times depending right. on the joke. So I, I guess that's part of how I got kind of used to expect the matter. Right. Uh, no one went to just, all right, wait, pause, give them a moment. Now go ahead and get in the flow. Uh-huh. So. so thinking about when you were performing there in Shanghai, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you why um, in a little bit, but the – I've talked to comedians from uh, several different co- countries, and there's a cultural thing at, in each region that seems to be a little bit different. Like if you're over in the UK performing, you don't have to have as many laughs per minute. You, If you're building to a good laugh and you've got a decent story, the audience will allow that. Um, whereas here... They don't allow it as much. They'll start talking. They 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 get disinterested pretty quickly. Um, and then uh, Australia is even more than the UK. I mean, you can go twenty minutes before you get a laugh as long as you're as long as you got a good story. But then, from everything I know from what I've seen as far as comedy in China. They are more, they need more visual um, and they need more, um, I don't want to say slapstick, but they need, they, they need to, they need to understand your emotions and what you're feeling by your facial expressions and stuff like that more so than the words. Is that, am I reading that correctly? That's very, very accurate. Uh, They're traditionally, they're into 
what's called talk show style. Uh-huh. So that Abbott and Costello, that, you know, straight guy and the wacky guy and mm-hmm. the slapstick thing definitely comes in handy, especially when you're a foreigner whose first language definitely ain't Mandarin. Uh-huh. And you want to be able to, at the very basic, relate to the local person who may not have a grasp of English. And like I said, those people who have a different kind of like fluency with English and a different comfort level. Mm. I think one of the things that I can really hang my hat on is the fact that we had such a melting pot of comedians over in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. So as you're mentioning these different nationalities, we got guys from every country Mm. and we're finding this kind of median. What does it take to make these folks laugh? Mm -hmm. What jokes hit on what nights? Is it about doing the word economy? Is it about doing the act out here? How are we, you know, going to relate to these audiences? So, uh, you know, three and a half years of being in there with those guys and grinding it out and trying to get to the core of what's funny and, and, and working as a team, you know, mm-hmm. on those show nights really helped. It's, it's helped me here try to get to the common denominator of what's funny. Mm-hmm. And so let's get to it. You started doing comedy there in Shanghai. What was it that made you take the leap? A breakup. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a very black, marvelous Miss Maisel kind of thing in my life. I <laughs> would have had it took a leap of faith. I knew it was something that, <laughs> that I wanted to pursue before I even left. Uh-huh. Because, of course, if you're an American or if you're any kind of foreigner trying to go to China, you better go with a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you better go with some money and a purpose. There is no way... You're going to go from just making whatever you make it, you know, whatever sub sandwich food chain, you know, and paying 150 for your passport, paying 220 for your visa, making sure it's the right type of visa. Um, it, it's really crazy to even get over there. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I was over there with a purpose, and I knew I wanted to dive into to comedy and public speaking and teaching and all that. Uh-huh. And I did. Um, I let the the public speaking thing happen first, and then spontaneously one night, I was just hanging out with um, a buddy who was doing a, a bartending gig at a cute little Polish restaurant. <laughs> Two girls from Poland, I kid you not, the pierogi ladies, making it just wow. like straight out of Warsaw <laughs> in the middle of Shanghai. <laughs> These guys, I know. They, these guys come in, they do some sets, and like, oh, man, this is really funny. Mm-hmm. And me and, like, four other people there, I'm kicking back because I'm pissed off about my breakup, and I just want to hang with the guys, talk some stuff. They're like, hey, you're funny. Come come with us to the next spot. So we leave that spot, and it's a storytelling night. I made a routine of hanging out with these guys every couple of weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Until after a while, they were just like, Erica, you're really funny. You need to just start doing this stuff. And so I finally, I finally did. Uh-huh. And it, that bug bit me four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been, did you come back to the States like right when the pandemic happened or was it before or a little bit into it? I came back right around the time it happened because we were getting it out for like the Lunar New Year yeah. on January 24th. And we were being told as we were getting let out, be prepared to start teaching online. Okay. When we're supposed to be back. Yeah. It's like, okay, okay, this is some interesting stuff. I know we've heard some rumblings. And that thing, it's like, uh-huh. I'm freaking the heck out. I'm like, yo, I don't want to keep watching this thing grow in numbers and watch, you know, the, the cases on yeah. the GPS around me keep growing. I'm not, <laughs> I'm chain smoking, you know, flavored cigarettes out of my fourth floor window. Freaking <laughs> heck out. Do I get back to Chicago? How? I, I was looking and I saw at one point it was like 3600 bucks for a one-way ticket back to O'Hare. And I was uh, like, oh, my God. I might have to do this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I wound up, I wound up waiting it out a couple of weeks cycling through every emotion on a daily basis, mm-hmm. waking up not knowing if I was coming or going or who around me was or whatever. It's like, look, I really want to go home. I found a ticket for 100 bucks one way. So Valentine's Day last year, I came home. Okay. And I was like, I'm just going to stick it out for as long as I can. 
still work and teach the kids, you know, and my weird timings due to the time zone difference. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, I was not going to stay there. Yeah. I knew that. And I felt weird coming back and doing some open mics. Some folks didn't see me before. Like, hey, Erica, you know what? Come on my podcast, you know, talk about what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know how much I can say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, and I'm, I'll just like spoon feed you some of what I know I can't. I'm working on, and I'm going to get this. I'm going to work on this. One of the jokes I'm working on now, which I feel comfortable with telling people, is I'm here as proof that I am not the old black bat that started this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that one hit. Surreal, man. That, that one hit. <laughs> it's, it's surreal. It's surreal, and I'm I'm glad that I finally get able uh, get a chance to to get more comfortable to be able to start telling. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as um, the, I've seen I I've seen you do you know like 100 percent clean stuff, and I've seen you do your regular stuff. Which which one do you lean? lean towards more which one is actually erica up there i'll say this one of my best jokes is a very blue joke Uh it's it's a foreplay with the aristocrats level yeah okay But one of the challenges that I was giving myself with doing virtual for a while was let me do clean. Let me go work completely clean and see where that takes me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you that the last show I did, as soon as I touched down my, back from L.A. last week, my mom was in the audience, and I told my first jokes live on stage about my vagina in front of my mother. <laughs> so I am now at this point of my career most of the kid I taught are eighth grade and up. They'll find out about it anyway. Let me go down as a bad bitch. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> so we're gonna get a lot more raw. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny when you get up on stage, you really don't care who's in the audience. It it doesn't it, it doesn't affect you because you've got what you need to say and you just do it. There's a certain amount of fearlessness that I used to have in my 20s when I was a cute little tight-bodied something rampaging across the suburbs of Chicago. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many nights of shaking it up at the Cubby Bear <laughs> in Bar Chicago or any of those other places where I probably shouldn't have been. Um <laughs> There was a certain kind of fearlessness I would have to tap into the, in the being at a lot of places. And yeah. people that know me, especially those that went to high school and college, let me know. Erica's a party starter. Uh-huh. Party gets started somewhere. Where's Erica? She's over there, bent over. That's <laughs> her, you know? So now it's just me having to be honest with myself and bring that thought spirit onto the stage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just just lean into it. Yeah. yeah. That's time. <laughs> So when you, okay, you get back to Chicago and you see the virtual stuff start popping up. Can you remember the first virtual mic that you did? First virtual mic that I did was Dario Durham's mic. Okay. And I was like, wow, this is, Y'all are cool. Like, I've been trying to, like, low-key find out who's who in the Chicago scene. It's like, some of these cats are right here, so this is cool. Uh-huh. So I was I was excited to find Dario's mic and to start working it from there. That made me feel that much more confident knowing that, you know, here I am 7,000 miles away, still writing as a black American woman, still giving these jokes. Mm-hmm. And now coming over and saying, okay, now I'm finally doing them at home and it's working like I thought. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing in my real voice. Yeah. And how much material do you think you got during that year plus that you were doing virtual stuff? How how much written stuff do you have now that you are just ready to go on stage and do? Hmm. 
I had probably come up with about 20 minutes of newer material mm-hmm. that I was just starting to do on some of the longer virtual shows that I was doing, mm-hmm. some of the virtual headliners that I was doing. Um, and even out of that, because now I'm, I'm in my own like weird material cy- cycling process, I feel like it's about eight solid minutes of that that I'm keeping and I'm going to keep it moving because I really want to get to this deeper, raw, mm-hmm. you know, funner part of me that I'm rediscovering. Yeah. <laughs> Even going to my old stopping grounds. Like, I don't live that far away from where I went to high school. Uh-huh. Like, to coming home and, and feeling some of those things again and starting to, to write about some of that stuff has been really what I needed. Yeah, that's great. Now, I have... Uh... I have a perception of how you write in, in my head and I want to see if it's right or not. So what is your, what's your writing method? What do you do to make a joke happen? Sometimes, sometimes a joke will happen when I'm in the shower. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely a shower and, and drive writing comic. Okay. So, you know, the phone's always nearby. I got to hop out real quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the thing about those chicken nugget sausages, <laughs> and then back into the shower, I, I am that kind of a writer. Um, and then, like I said, now I'm starting to kind of go back and feel some feelings that I w- was feeling in some situations in college or in high school, mm-hmm. just trying to get back to, to what I used to feel because mm-hmm. there was tons of diaries, yeah. you know, that I was writing over those times that I've torn up and thrown away or got lost during moves. And I was like, let's get back to that as a grown up. Cause your snarky ass definitely got, got a different take on it now. Yeah. <laughs> so do you feel like when you get, uh, when you're working out a new joke, do you feel like it has to be a hundred percent, done before you get on stage or do you sometimes just walk on stage with a premise and maybe a punchline and you decide you're going to work it out on stage? I feel like starting to trust myself more to work it out on stage. Okay. I feel like I'll take a joke on stage if it's about 85% of the way and then try to feel it out a few different times at an open mic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like I don't I don't fully ever give up on jokes. And Lord knows I've written a lot more that are just sitting and are just waiting for inspiration right. before being dug out of the crypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I am always trying to keep it more more fresh and more current and then see what I'm feeling and, and process it accordingly so that it's a raw or realer emotion. I'm not just trying to have, these are all of my Christmas jokes. I pull these out in Halloween. Yeah. You know, I I got those, but I want to keep expanding on all my topics yeah. too. So. I'm going through the same thing as you and as far as writing, I get I don't get the shower thing to, doesn't usually come to me, but the driving thing, I have found that if I turn everything off cuz I listen to podcasts and music and stuff like that and audiobooks, if I turn all that off and just drive, stuff comes to me. I start thinking about and it's funny you talk about getting into your younger self's head and uh, bringing that stuff back up because I'm going all the way to grade school with my stuff. And it's, it's weird because you think it's gone. And then when you start reliving it and start thinking it, it all comes back, including, you know, including the bad stuff. Uh, But you, you can, you can make humor out of it. But I've also, I used to have to have everything what I, Everything in my head, I had to feel like it was fully baked before I went up sta- on stage, and it was never right that first time I did it, so I was always changing it anyway, and sometimes I changed it five or six times before I felt like it was at 80%. So since we made the big move, I just totally stopped 
writing jokes. I just write premises, and then I go uh, to up on the open mic stage and work out a premise, and I sandwich it between two jokes that are okay that I that I know are maybe sixty or seventy percent baked, and then I just listen to it and uh, take it from there. I. I I feel like I don't even write anymore. All I do is I've got all these premises written in my phone, and I just look at them. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that one tonight, and I feel I feel better about it, and I feel a little bit more, I guess, more comfortable with what I say, um, and comfortable either that it's good or it's bad. So sometimes you can have a joke that's fully written out, and you get a couple chuckles, and you don't know if it's good or not, uh, especially at an open mic. And you don't know it's good until you do it in front of uh, an actual audience. And now I'm to the point where I really don't care if it's good at the open mic. I just want to say it out loud once and then I'll adjust <laughs> as I go. So, yeah, I'm kind of doing what you're doing and it, it feels a lot better. And it takes the whole, it takes all the pressure away from the uh, open mic experience because performing in front of other comics is just a pain. <laughs> It is. There is a freedom in that. And I'm glad that you say it because I feel like I used to do that a lot more in the first two years I was doing comedy. Mm. I feel like I've been, especially within the last year and a half, I feel like I've been so focused on, am I making sure that the me that I bought from over there is still serving me? Mm. Um, now I'm at the point where it's, you're right. I got to get on stage and be able to trust myself because I know I'm a funny ass, but I'm not on the stage and I know I'm a funny person but I don't have a mic in my hand. So I, I want to be able to have that freedom to walk around in that space of that premise. Mm -hmm. So that's a great way to do that. Uh, talking about the, uh, the uh, festival that uh, went on in Burbank, because I um, ha actually had a couple of my personal friends do that, and I haven't gotten the lowdown from them because they're back in South Bend's, and I haven't been able to talk to them since then. But uh, that particular um, festival seemed like it was really good for uh, a lot of comics that are like in your, you know, like five-year range to actually get seen by um, some of the uh, more well-known comics and agents and stuff like that. How did that go for you? I feel like that went great. Um, and I think you're very right to say that, especially being a, a, a young, old comic, mm -hmm. I feel like it was definitely what I need for right now mm -hmm. to help keep moving me along. Um, flappers to come out of the gate anyway and be able to give me the opportunities they've given me has been awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, to be able to make a Chicago girl feel like an LA comic is pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, to get there to, to do my, my sets um, at the showcases that I had and to move on to the best of fest, mm. that was awesome. And I've, I'm just grateful for the opportunity and, and to be able to, to come out there to, to, to do it and uh, to have fun with it and, and to get that accolade. That was icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you seem just from, I've, I've never seen you live, but you seem from the virtual shows that I've seen to be a um, kind of a audience. Um, I, I don't want to say that you do a ton of crowd work, but you interact with the audience as you do your act. Is that, am I right in that? Yes, I am a little flirty with my crowd, okay. no matter what. <laughs> Um, I will say this. I, I've had people that have known me virtually for over a year say, I thought you were so much taller. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I am a very small woman, but uh -huh. <laughs> apparently what I do virtually fills up the screen to an extent. So yeah. what I do on stage, <laughs> it's a similar kind of energy. I get... Uh -huh. Biggie shorty energy or something, you know, it's really <laughs> mighty mouse yeah. energy. <laughs> are there any, uh, since you grew up in Chicago, are there any, uh, especially Chicago comics, but uh, uh, American comics that really inspired you to uh, be 
the type of comic that you are? I feel like my Mount Rushmore Chicago comics is interesting. It would be Bernie Mac, Marina Franklin, Dion Cole, <laughs> you know, and I, I feel like my comedy is, is somewhere as a mixture of, of the three of them. Uh-huh. Um, I, I just love Chicago comedy and I love what Chicago comedy has going on now. It's, mm crazy yeah. the, the talent pool out here is it's ridiculous mm-hmm. um and it's just a legacy that we have of uh just this raw real fun high energy in your face type of comedy um so i'm i'm happy and excited to kind of be a part of it you know yeah. whenever yeah. i get the chance to, to raise the stage in chicago but I, you know it's just an honor to be here and to, to be able to observe what coolness is going on out yeah there. It's definitely a different uh, vibe. I'm in Huntsville now, and it's definitely a different vibe because, you know, my home club was the Drop Comedy Club in South Bend, and they they pull a lot of Chicago headliners uh, for, for their shows. And, you know, they also, I mean, they pulled from other areas too. They pulled from Indy, and then they, you know, uh, all the way south uh, but a lot of headliners came from chicago and um uh the energy from the chicago comics is different from the comics i'm seeing here in huntsville because they pull a lot from like atlanta and so mm-hmm. it's totally a different it's i'm not saying one's funnier than the other but it's a different vibe because Growing up in the South Bend area, I identify with the Chicago comics more because I was close to that and, you know, went to Chicago a lot and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of, I, I kind of, that's one of the things I'll miss, but it also feels kind of nice to have that type of style because I've done some mics here and, uh, it's definitely different than what most of the people bring to the stage. So that it's kind of, it's kind of fun being the odd guy. <laughs> but then that's also a testament to how powerful just being from a certain region or knowing the comedy of a certain scene yeah. can be. Yeah. We come to know and love that kind of Bernie Mac style delivery mm. or, you know, Dion Cole's observational humor. Uh, we come to just love their references to the, the shared culture we have and those landmarks and those reference points, right? It's that mm-hmm. same kind of the warmth we feel when a, a traveling comic, you know, remarks about a certain mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that kind of familiarity. It's, it's really cool. It's another added layer of relatability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I like about your particular style is the it's a it's a it's a uh, racial element that is trying to bring people to an understanding and come together about the the problems with racism in our country okay so you you take a lighter you take a little bit lighter um, uh, approach to it yet you are trying to make sure you address it i've i've got a i've got a friend in dwight simmons he's from in the indianapolis area and he's doing the same thing and he used to do more um i mean he he didn't address the fact that he was black very much in his act and now he does and he and when we talked when i I, uh, interviewed him for the podcast he felt like it was necessary for him to because it's one of those things that uh comedy almost needs to be a learning experience now for some folks and i like how you do that is that something that's intentional or is it just part part of who you are that was a really long question. <laughs> but it serves its purpose. Yeah. So it's very intentional because with having my start in Shanghai, no matter what, I'm always representing for black women. Mm-hmm. 
I'm halfway across the world from where I'm from, and I'm representing Black America. Mm. I am not Cardi B on stage. I am Nicki Minaj on stage. Mm -hmm. Given the right crowd, I'll go there verbally. Mm -hmm. But my idea was to represent Black women differently. Mm -hmm. And because no matter how I speak, you hear Sally Mae loans in my voice. <laughs> so I have to be true to who I am on the stage. And even if I am a little bit square or too educated or, oh, she sounds too much like a teacher for some people, I can't help you. Uh -huh. I'm out here to make you laugh, though. And I have to still be true to me. Right. You know? Right. So going out there and being the representative, I had to make sure to come correct. And I'm, I'm trying to do that at home. Like mm -hmm. I said, for me, breaking the threshold of doing pussy jokes in front of my mama, I've now <laughs> entered the space where I'm, I'm fully acknowledging I'm going to have to be Nicki Minaj some nights on stage. Uh -huh. But that's not that's not totally on brand for me yet. Uh -huh. When I enter the hipster some more phase of my career, then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now you mentioned you've you've done some shows in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, which are probably equally equally backward as Indiana as uh, as the uh, mid mid Indiana down to South Indiana are um, as far as uh, the crowds and having a lot of boomers in the crowd and stuff like that. Did did you experience that? Um, I, is that, is that an okay term to say boomer? Yeah, I am. I am one. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to check out for level with that one. Um, yeah, there was quite a few boomers in the crowd. I enjoy being ambiguously in the middle somewhere and confusing people as to what my true age is, uh -huh. but, um, <laughs> But then this is also why I try to be relatable because, you know, like I don't have kids, so I have to try to relate to the kids and the boys. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a lot in Minnesota for sure, but there was great people, was, you know, for a festival and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wisconsin, there was a lot of folks on their like, little summer house, little weekend staycation. Yeah. Um, like Geneva and all of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was down with that. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> There's a certain type of hair that comes with that, uh, both for the men and the women. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, it's, it's bigger hair for the women, and, 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 and the guys always have it parted to the side. <laughs> the, the number of polo shirts... Yeah. Let's uh, go up exponentially look, look when wearing. you cross. I'm wearing a polo shirt. I, I didn't have time to change from work. So. <laughs> I am not the fashion police. Not tonight. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is as low key as I get, you know. Yeah. The H&M drapey black shirt. Yeah. I'm not Mrs. Blackwell. I do not. Everybody under 25 watching right now has no idea who Mr. Blackwell is. Yeah. No idea why I made that reference. The, that's so funny because I went into an H&M this weekend and I looked at the shirts there. And uh, if if I'm perceived as a uh, tall, large person, then that is correct. I'm extremely tall. And all those shirts I looked at and I'm like, no. My belly button's gonna show for sure on these. So yeah, I didn't I didn't walk out of H and M with anything. I I, I uh, wasn't gonna even try. But yeah, um, the reason why I asked about these different crowds, uh, there's actually I'm there's actually a tact to it because we talked about you in Shanghai working crowds that could uh, have. Uh, Americans in one corner and Germans in one corner and French and then you got the locals and all that kind of stuff and playing to that. Do you feel like that that gave you some some of the strength to understand how to read a room and know which way to go? Most definitely. I think that had a huge role in helping me know how to read a room and, and read it quickly. 
mm-hmm. then also fine tuning this material or like the cornerstones of my material, uh, refining and testing it in front of so many different crowds. I feel mm-hmm. like it's definitely been a win for sure. Mm-hmm. So do you have like several different ways to deliver a joke then? So say you're, you're in a uh, venue that has, um, you know, 50 of me and, and my wife that looks like we're not, uh, we're not going to go for the, um, the language. Uh, (laughs) I, you, we may have that look, but do you have different ways to deliver just based on what you see in a crowd? Most definitely. Yeah. And depending on what the crowd looks like, there's a couple of jokes that I have where like a little crowd look would be like, uh, so what's the song that you got in trouble for singing? Uh-huh. Right. Depending on the crowd, I might look at somebody and be like, ooh, battle him in the Republic. <laughs> <laughs> I try to gauge. I, I do pay attention in the room of what's going on before me. I hated going up one night after finding out that the youngsters in the crowd did not know who Randy Quaid was. Oh, dear. <laughs> Are we that young yeah. in these clubs? Man. <laughs> That's It's so hard because, because I think, you know, those references are just so easy to know and i i started when i started i started doing jokes with references to like you know the godfather or you know just just things that were way too old gilligan's island and the brady bunch and stuff like that and it just doesn't work so i would i've got a a really young group of friends from the south bend area and i'm always messaging them saying hey of these three movies which one do you know and and a lot of times it's none of them or these three actors which one do you know none of them so you have to you have to know that because certain crowds are just going to be you know 30 or 40 years younger than you and yeah you have to be ready for it i got so tired of just being over there and only making star wars references oh yeah I don't like Star Wars. I'm a Star Trek baby. Thank you. Come on, thank man. you. <laughs> do, do you have Sheesh. Do you have any anti Star Wars jokes? Not yet, because I never gave them that much consideration. Okay. Oof. Someday, some, someday I would like to co-headline with you on the anti Star Wars <laughs> bent because I've got a few, and every time I do them, I get booed. So. Um, <laughs> I want to be able to do all right. I will say this. My parents, around your age, they had me watching the first three movies when I was born. And yeah. I was like, oh, man, come on. They got me the books. <laughs> They're some of the first books I start reading. Mm-hmm. I'm five, six years old. I got to see Lando Calrissian and Carbonite. Yeah. Do you know how terrifying that was? <laughs> The first brother I see in space got to get hemmed up like this. How do you? Why do you got to go out like that? And the only black person in that movie. <laughs> right. I'm like yo, not not this, not this. Give me Jordy the Forge, please. Yeah. <laughs> Levar Burton with a vibe over. Let yeah. me give me that. Don't freeze me out. Yeah. Well, yeah. my story is a little bit different because I was. 14 when the first one came I think I was 14 when the first one came out 13 or 14 and I was one of those guys that didn't fit in anywhere I didn't fit in with the jocks we only had jocks and nerds and I didn't fit in with the jocks because I played sports but I was bad and uh, I thought when Star Wars came up I'd go with a bunch of nerds and I'd be part of their nerd tribe and really like it and I came out of it and they're all just saying how great it was I'm like I, I don't get it. I it, it just looks like bad acting, and I never I never <laughs> saw one after that. <laughs> so <laughs> if they're on TV, I'm like skip new channel. <laughs> and I love Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, I was the same. I I absolutely love Star Trek. I had had never. Land over in the cup of his hand. Just okay, fine, but still. 
the carbonite scarred me for life. At least I thought it was random. Okay. <laughs> so we gonna go with that. Now I guess there's some part of six year old me that feels slightly vindicated. Appreciate you, Mark. <laughs> Mark seems to be popping up on all my shows, so. <laughs> He's a good guy. Thanks for coming through. We appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saucy tonight. <laughs> so you got me. You got me all uh, fired up on the Star Wars thing. Uh, so uh, I'm. I'm. How about Marvel movies? Are you? Are, are you big into the whole Marvel comic book stuff? Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, no. Okay. Um, I think my last, the last two that I really paid attention to were Doctor Strange and Black Panther. Okay. After that, I checked out. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's almost like we're the same person. So, that's funny. <laughs> Appreciate like you, brother. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I'm going to come around to a couple questions that I ask almost everybody, and um, I get Sometimes I get uh, the same types of answers, and sometimes I get really different answers, so I'm going to keep asking them. Uh, what is the best and worst advice you ever got as a comedian from a comedian? Worst advice? Yeah, best and worst. The worst advice I heard was, Erica, nobody wants to hear you rant. <laughs> Gotcha, Bucko. Yeah. Best advice I heard was just be undeniably funny. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. None of the, none of the rest of the stuff actually matters. Yeah. And, and worrying. Just be undeniable. Yeah. And worrying about your own stuff is way more important than worrying about what somebody else does. So that's. That's just me saying as an old man to all the young comics out there. You cannot win a race if you're constantly looking over in somebody else's lane. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't have the fortitude and the focus and the drive to stay focused on your own lane, that's too much room for distractions and allowing somebody to get you tripped up. Yeah. All you got to really do is believe in yourself and show up day in and day out and do the work. Mm -hmm. So instead of sitting back and hanging back and wondering, how did somebody get that? Why do they get that? Why don't I get this? Mm -hmm. Start asking, why can't you get that? Right. What's stopping you? Yeah. And if it's a sucky negative mindset, you might want to fix yeah. it. <laughs> I like that. That might be a sound clip. Um, uh, thinking about your career as like a bubble, um, what three things – do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? Uh, you can capture lightning in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it does take just getting some fire premises and trusting yourself. <laughs> um, absorb, like listen, but don't absorb everything. Okay. You know, and the third most important thing is to listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. Shut everything else out. Shut the noise out. Focus. Listen to yourself. Hear what you really want. Hear where you're really going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, that's important. Mm -hmm. It's important with anything in life, really, especially if you really want something in life. Mm -hmm. Very good. Letting somebody else trip you up, mm -mm, that's not a good look. Yeah. <laughs> so. Now, you seem to be somebody who would recognize a good comic if you saw one. Uh, so my, my question is, do you see some people out there that are just working it so hard and you, you know that it's just never going to work for them because they just don't have the funny? And I'm not asking you to name names, but isn't there a certain type of person who makes it at this and a certain type who doesn't? I would say so. 
And I think, and this is probably because I'm very fortunate to not uh, see a lot of comics like this, but I think when I was really starting to pay attention to the Chicago scene in the early to mid-2000s, I would see some comics like really push the cringe levels. Uh-huh. It's like, so what works for Tim and Eric doesn't work for everybody. Right, yeah. And it hardly ever translates to, you know, your local stand-up comedy stage unless your stuff is pristine, acted out, like, darn near Comedy Central ready. Yeah, <laughs> like, right, yeah. So I think there there's the folks that kind of push that, that line uh, of uncomfortability and absurdism what, without a clear like agenda. Like, are you doing, is this performance art mm-hmm. or is this comedy for real? Mm-hmm. Is there an attempted joke? Is there a visual joke? Like, where right. is it? Yeah. And so. I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm the type of person I can look at a comic and if I don't, if I don't appreciate the material or, it's just not my thing, then I can still understand how they would be funny to somebody else. Um, but then I see other comics that I just don't understand how they could appeal to anyone, and yet they're up there trying it. And, and, and the, I, I guess the hardest thing to do is, and the easiest thing to do is just stop and, and not do it anymore. <laughs> and there's a few... <laughs> There's a few that should, but then I see a few get Netflix specials that that I thought should have stopped. But so I don't know. I don't know what uh, is going on with that. But you know, it's just it's just one of those things. I think some y- the work is extremely important, but you have to have some innate of uh, sense of humor. And I think most of the people that have that have appreciated a. Um, a wide variety of comedy before they started. That's that's something something that seems to be true of most comics that are really good. I would hope that no one on their journey would be so absolutely rigid uh, to not be able to take constructive criticism and make mm-hmm. adjustments. Yeah. I would hope that somebody would want to examine their why for doing this strongly enough to be able to 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 make the corrections that they have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, or even if it's just, oh man, I was just doing it on a dare and I like the hype yeah. and doing it over and over again. And I'm seven months in and I still suck. Yeah. And it's different. Um, but I think it's really important to really know your, why you're doing it in the first place. Right. I would hope that, you know, and, and, and the only way to really get books is aside from letting Booker see you is to actually be funny. Yeah. So even if you bring 25 people in for a show, Make them laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. Crack some jokes. Yeah. Be relatable. Sure. Get some smiles. Like, yeah. Bring it. Don't just, well, you know, I'm here because this is cheaper than therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a show, please. <laughs> For the love of God, do a show. <laughs> like, you could have belly egged at home. We yeah. would all been better off. <laughs> Hernia surgery right now would be better than this. You know what I'm Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, I've got one last question for you because you seem like a gold-driven person, and uh, I would imagine you probably have written goals and you know what you want to do. What? Where do you see yourself, or where would you like to be in three years? I used to make a joke uh, that... I would be all about my Netflix 2023. Um, mm. I have better goals for myself. Um, 20, hopefully in a movie, not a low budget one, please. At least uh, <laughs> half a million capital. <laughs> Thank God, yes, right here. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'd like to be in, in movies by then. That's I think great. I can do it. I'm ambitious enough. I think I can do it. Okay, okay. I, I'll be I'll be glad to watch those when they come up. Um, so, as far as what you have going on and where people can find you, where can people find Erica Switzer on the interwebs? 
best place to find me because I'm on every major social media network in the state. Mm-hmm. Best place to find me is ericaswitzer.com. Uh, hit me up on IG or Facebook. Always popping on those. Twitter, uh, yeah, my Twitter following. I got started doing hashtag jokes in 2013, so that explains those numbers. Yeah, but hit me up on there or any other type of social media. I, uh, yeah, I usually get back to folks. Yeah, and I'm pretty bookable and stuff. Great. And I can work clean or dirty. <laughs> yeah. Tell jokes to make my mama blush. Like yeah. I said, that joke was rough. My mama's like, you know what, baby? That's one of my favorite jokes of yours. <laughs> but uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to hang yeah. out with you again. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you. <laughs>